And we're back. Welcome to the Founding Lore Fathers. We've got the full cast tonight, John and Dan. And we are going to be talking about the Leo Skaltold case. But before we dive into that, I do want to give a couple shout outs to some new listeners that we have. We have uh, a couple new listeners in New Zealand and in Mexico. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, we have a few new followers on Apple Podcast, and we've reached a few new followers on YouTube as well. So we certainly appreciate the support for the show. And Absolutely. if you can, share it, like, subscribe, comment. It helps us out. And uh, helping the show you know, helps, helps us bring more content to you guys. So thank you again. Um, now... Before I jump in with some of my thoughts, I, I do want to say that this case is, is covered in detail by an investigative journalist named Gilbert King. Uh, the dude covers wrongful convictions and is it's primarily focused on pre-civil rights uh, cases, including he wrote a book called Devil in the Grove. It was turned into a PBS documentary called The Groveland Four. You can find that on the PBS website, and I, I recommend anyone who's like looking to for something to watch uh, go give it a shot. It's it's an interesting insight into American history. That's another rough and tumble um, case. I know I, I read about, yeah I, I read about that a long time ago, and it's. <sighs> it's one of those cases that it's a real nail biter and you get to the end and you're just like, man, how did, how was there so much oversight? Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, it's, it's involves the clan. It involves Thurgood Marshall. One of the, you know, the, the first African American, well, first black best. Uh, I can't talk. Yeah. The first, first black uh, Supreme chief. court judge that we had. There you go. Was he a chief justice? Did he make it the, Dude, I don't fucking know. I know he he did some good stuff and things, and yeah. that's you know that's the judicial branch. So I things. fucking passed fifth grade, man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, so guys, I've I've actually reflected on some of the topics we've covered and some of the side conversations we've had over the last couple of weeks and how they apply to the world around us and the topic that we're talking about. And on the recommendation from Dan, I looked into Shane Gillis and his his story and the podcast he does with his friend Matt called Matt and Shane's Secret Podcast. I found his story to be incredibly powerful. Um, as I, I'm sure many of you know, he was able before he was able to launch his corporate comedy career. It was cut short by some of the offensive things that he had just put out to the world. I believe it was some some Asian impression impersonations. It was it didn't look good, but you know, he's well, a comedian. So he was trying to get on uh he was hired on Saturday Night Live and uh well before that, before all of that, he failed at uh getting into football and then after that he tried to go to West Point and that wasn't working for him. So then he tried to do stand-up comedy, and he had his podcast. And then from there, he um, got hired on Saturday Night Live. And then he had people going and looking back in, on his catalog, and they misinterpreted some of his jokes. And it was just during that time, uh, 2019, 2018, when everybody was fighting with each other about um, basically – 
what's offensive and what's not offensive. And he got fired because of that. Not only did he get fired, he had some people on Saturday night live that were kind of criticizing and making fun of him, but he Hmm. was able to be resilient and just go from there, keep his career going. And actually the other day he hosted Saturday night live. Yeah. That was, that was fun. Yeah. He, he, he definitely, I mean, since that moment, he was able to parlay his skills. And I mean, he's wildly successful venture, a wild, wildly successful venture. I'm mm-hmm. struggling with words right now. No, um, but so I believe Shane's success in a lot of ways, um, it just mirrors American culture. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, it's, it's just, let's face it. America's history. It's full of sins that tend to be glossed over by an ideology. You look at like the founding of our nation. I mean, we're we're led to believe that this is a nation that was built by those seeking religious freedom. In reality, it was a nation that was built on potential profits. Yeah. I mean, hell, the Virginia was a corporation. Yeah. And I, I I bring this up to say that James these these lies are truly dangerous. Because at its core, America is an offensive culture. And it pretends to be morally superior. I've always heard a joke that the uh, the dollar bill was actually a promise note to China that we would eventually pay them back for the money we borrowed to start the nation. I mean, well, China was it wouldn't have been China. It would have been they they gave us a giant loan when we first started um, in the industry in America. I think it was no like, shit. Yeah, hmm. I'm gonna do some research yeah, on that and get back. I have to look into yeah. that. Because I've heard that the, I've always heard surprise the me. that we went broke after World War II. And oh, this is earlier than that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I gotcha. But China was in a feudalist state. Well, it was powerful at different times because there was if China wasn't like what we think it is today, there were several kingdoms built up together. So right. I don't know. It'd right. be fun to look into for sure. Yeah. Maybe That'll that's a be, yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> wish we should look into that. And the tantalizing history of Japan while we're at it. Right. Um, but anyways, but the the whole offensive pretending to be morally superior, I, I think that that fact can be summed up by like the great Southern Karen just smugly saying, bless your heart while she's judging you five ways from Sunday. I, yeah, I had somebody say that to me at work the other day. They were like, oh, bless your heart. And I was like, now, do you mean that the positive way or a negative way when you say that? And she's like, no, 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 I'm just saying poor thing. Hope your night gets better. And I'm like, really? Well, the way that you chose your choice of words there. <laughs> it's just, it's I don't like... know who's worse, the, the Karen who calls the cops or the Chad that shows up and starts immediately trying to aggressively uh authoritize everyone authoritize right <laughs> What's the cops well are? you know chad. it's it's no i wouldn't even call them chad i would no they're no what, what would be a joe bobs who would be <laughs> joe bobs a, who yeah. would be a chad or a wannabe chad like uh like a tony nah know. tony's Steven? a good strong name steven i don't know a, a bruce i'm a i'm okay i'm okay <laughs> with i'm okay with uh Oh shit! Yeah, this is bad. Now, now I'm thinking of all the people I know. Hayden. Uh, ah, uh, uh, something with a din at the end. Adams. <laughs> Aiden. Aiden. Jaden. Aiden. Jaden. There you go. 
Yeah. Yeah. The, the future, future oppressors. So, yeah. <laughs> but, did you hear about but, the, uh, did you hear about the incident with the cop and the, uh, the acorn fell on the tree and they, he opened up a whole entire clip on his police car while someone was sitting inside. Dude, the memes that have come out about that have been fantastic. Remember that, uh, that lady who, uh, right. I guess she was having trains run on her by the rest of the, by the entire police force. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's just like the only cop is not afraid of a nut. Oh, <laughs> it was a picture nice. of her. That's <laughs> so, that's nah, dude, that's fucking wild. The way that happened, man. Like <clears throat> the, for those who don't know, like there was a cop who like had a guy, handcuffed in the back of his cruiser and he's walking away and an acorn falls and he thinks he's been shot. And so he turns around and just opens fire on the, on his police cruiser. He's screaming officer down and his partner shoots too. And on top of that, like he emptied an entire clip, which they usually carry nine millimeters. Right. Yeah. And she shot as well. And I mean, thankfully, all of their shots missed the guy because he wasn't even, I don't even think he was under arrest. I think he was just detained at the time. I don't know how I'd feel after that. Of course I'd be scared about like them shooting at me. But then after that, I'd also be like, I'm never calling the cops again. They missed every single shot. Cops all they're, they're dude. It, it's not uncommon to see a police report. That's reads like a stormtrooper. 87 bullets, three hits. Right. <laughs> oh, it's you not, see this smug little smile on my face? I got a personal story. We we're about to enjoy yeah, it. man. Well, most so I was at the Chinese restaurant one time, right? And I love to take my fortune cookie and pop it in my hand. It makes a really loud sound. Well, there was an entire table full of police officers behind oh, me, <laughs> and I did that, and he spilled his entire soup in his lap trying to dodge out of the way because he thought for sure there was a gunshot going off in the in the restaurant. The fucking Tom Yum just got destroyed, dude. <laughs> I was going to ask before we get started on police corruption, and if, if, if y'all, either of you had uh, instances where it happened to you. Absolutely. Yeah, well, well dude, we, got, you. we got pulled over and um, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to expand on the story with too much but we got pulled over at a certain spot in maryland and the cop asked for our wallets and um took our weed didn't give us a ticket and i i think total we were out like 100 100 200 bucks so i mean you know yeah i didn't have a criminal record because of it so i mean yay but like that cop straight up fucking robbed us yeah you know? uh there was a time in uh beaufort courthouse where out there uh carter county courthouse where I was there and um, the guy in front of me was like, you know, I understand that they caught me stealing, but what's not in the police report is the bag of weed I had in my pocket. Where's my weed at? Hmm. Um, I mean, it's. I recently, um, I was riding with a friend, a girl friend, not my girlfriend, but a friend that's a girl and we got pulled over and I was like, just stay calm. Um, they're going to pull us over because I could see them from a mile away. But um, yeah, her she got on the phone with her mother and her mother was telling her to stay in the vehicle, you know, until we can get a lawyer on the phone. That guy went to pull to grabbed her by her hair and started pulling on her and was demanding her to get out of the vehicle or he was going to pull her by her hair out the window. And this is in Wake Forest. Once. 
No, this is down there where we're from in okay. Craven okay. County. They they deserve a shout out because they love breaking the law when it comes to them. And uh, so after that, they t- they made us both get out. They get a canine unit out there and they've got the dog going around the car. And I'm filming because I know better nowadays. I don't yeah. play around, especially down there as corrupt as they are with the instances I've dealt with. So they're trying to get the dog to go around. It's circled around four or five times, just walking around. And I turn to the cop and I'm like, now how many times are you allowed to circle our vehicle before this is going to be considered a false, uh, a false positive? positive. He's like, I don't know. And I was like, well, you're the sheriff. You should know your own procedures. So then one of them goes, come here, boy. And he jumped up on the car and they tried to say that that's how they found something. And they're allowed to search the vehicle. They searched yeah. the vehicle. All they found was a straw that they tried to say was paraphernalia. And I was like, we have kids like, and, like, and around us and friends. And anyone could have thrown a straw on the floor. You can't just say that's paraphernalia. And you got to, you know, just to say it's paraphernalia, you got to test it anyways. Like, not to mention me filming it and me catching them trying to pull my friend by her hair out the vehicle. Well, they all had a little powwow together and then they walk over to me they ask me if i can turn the phone off and then the cop was like you know if you were any other type of people today we'd be taking you to jail but uh you're free to go today so you know you should be thankful and i'm just sitting there thinking like what do you mean by if we were any other type of people is it because we're white that you're saying that so that's that's almost exclusively what they meant um Not to mention they coerce the dog, and I happen to have a family member that trains those type of dogs, and when I explained the situation and showed them the vehicle, they're like, he absolutely coerced that dog to jump up there. He's like, good, thank you for filming that. So that's something else, everybody out there. You do have a right to film. Whether they tell you that you're not, you absolutely have the right to film them. If they tell you that you can't, chances are they're trying to do something shady. Um, So My personal – sorry – no, dude, go ahead. Go ahead. So Tell my personal man. experience, um, I had just bought uh, a new vehicle. I just bought a GMC truck. And at the dealership, they said, go ahead and put my Monte Carlo um, plates on it. They made a note in there that it was going to get switched out Monday morning, right? And um, put all the paperwork in my glove box. That night, we went to the store, me, Daniel, and my friend uh, Snoop. And she was in the back seat with the hood on. Dan was up front with me. And next thing we know, we have six cop cars. Oh, no, cars. we walked in the store. Yeah. We put the beer in the back. You know, all of us were 21. We have six cop cars pull up with blue lights on. And they're out there shouting, you know, throw the keys out the window and all that. The cop comes up to my window and puts the barrel of a gun into my ear and starts pressing. Yeah. And he's like, I need you to keep your hands where I can see them. And he was like, sir, you in the back seat, sir, take your hood off, sir. And I was like, you're talking about Kristen? I was like, that's a female. I was like, what is wrong with you? And they were like, well, we have uh, received information that there was a robbery where somebody was murdered. And this truck fits the description. I was like, no, it doesn't. 
I was like, we, we just left the movie theater. They try to say we fit the description as well. Right. Yeah. So um, he starts to pull me out, slam me around, pulls Dan out, starts slamming him around, pulls Kristen out, slams her around. And, you know, they're like, we're going to tase you guys. You know, we could shoot you. We're going to put you in jail and leave you in there because nobody can bond you out over the weekend. So you're going to be in there till Monday morning. I was like, what is this? What's going on? They were like, you obviously have stolen tags. And I was like, are you talking about the tags? They're like, yeah, those are for Monte Carlo. I was like, yeah, if you look in the glove box, there is a uh, registration for uh, Chevy Monte Carlo or a Chevy. Uh, it's a tag transfer. Or, yeah, a tag transfer from a Monte Carlo to uh, GMC. And the other cop opens it and looks at it. And I was like, you know, I could call my lawyer Chestnut real quick and uh, see what he's got to say about that. And in the next five seconds, they were completely back in their car, driven out of there and gone. Like, like, like nothing happened. Right. Yeah, and, dude, that uh, shit drives me fucking crazy, man. One thing that absolutely hurts me inside is seeing abuse of power because there is that power dynamic between they can ruin my life. Yep. They can kill you. They're they murderers. They're not, gangers. Knock it and not no one no one bats an eye. Yeah. That's a thing, you know, and it's it's it fucking sucks, man. But this this what we're talking about right now is shocking to people. And and it comes from this distorted view of our history. This ideological America that never actually existed. No. It, it's gone into our institutions, including the criminal justice systems. It would be lovely to say that the rank and files of the police force, the prosecutor's office, and the judges are filled with honorable people no. willing to do the right thing even when no one is looking. Well, Sadly, it's, it's just not the case. They're humans. They did a and test. They did a test um, at a college with the Stanford prison, Stanford prison experiment. Well, not that one. There's another one they did where they made it a game of Monopoly where one person plays the game regularly and another person gets to roll twice and they get twice as much money each time that they win. And just alone by having those set of rules and having that much authority over the other person, they immediately started getting more cocky and arrogant. And they started talking about how, you know, like how their skill and their ability and what they did, how much better than they are than the other person. Now you take that kind of like built in um, ability and power inherent in the system and you put it to people that have been picked on in the past or just uh, feel like they've been wronged or they feel like they're going like it's a black versus white it's good versus evil and you put that mentality on top of them it's just a recipe for disaster and Absolutely. then like you said the Stanford prison in, uh, experiment one of the worst things that ever the black versus white thing. There's actually someone on the Fuqua Arena command staff, um, police force, who has open Christian nationalist stuff on his Facebook page, calling for civil war. Oh, yeah. That's a person who you know believes that anyone who's ideologically different from him is a demon. Yep. 
you can't you can't reason with someone who believes that they are working against demons. You and just you, can't do it. And you've given that, them the right to use lethal force and I, they can get away with it pretty much. I do not want to get into it, but that was what the cop used in that um Missouri shooting. He said that the man looked like he was a demon. Yeah. That's I'm not gonna drop any names. We all know the story, but that is what his defense was. It's the dehumanization that goes on. And, and no one's going to get fired. And I mean, we're talking so uh, recently. So there is there is a Fuquay Verena. I, I, I fucking hate saying this out loud. But he's a firefighter who routinely, routinely drives 20 to 40 miles over the speed limit next oh, yeah. to my child's school. And oh. I've called I've called the fire department about that. I've talked to the chief about this a couple of times. It's always been my word versus his word because for some reason they just they don't have the speed trackers, the radars, or whatever on their cars. Well, I caught him on video. I have the video of me going 60 plus and him hauling ass away from me in a 45. And when I showed the chief the video, his response was, Well, people speed on that road every day. Yep, you're gaslit. So yeah, so I mean, I mean it's 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 I'm 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 letting my emotions kind of go like settle down before I act on that. But I'm pretty sure I'm going to take this public. I'm not sure how or when, but well, you've already made a happen. start just now. Well, well you remember Dateline when they did their special about cops using their authority to speed at like no matter what the situation is at dangerous levels of speed. They used the state of North Carolina. Yeah. Today, Sid and me saw an ambulance turn his lights on at the stoplight drive through the stoplight, stop traffic, drive through the stoplight, and then two more lights down, we saw him with his lights off waiting for the next light. So, you know, that that could have been a, a call, canceled call. That sucks. But I, I mean, see they, it every you know, time, though. Here's the problem. Same road. Here's, the, here's the problem. So those bad apples, they inflict so much damage on our society. It just, it just, it can't be ignored. Right. You can't, you can't give people the benefit of the doubt. I would love, I would love to, but you just, it's just, you can't do it. I mean, for Christ's sake, do you guys remember the story about the guy or girl who got pulled over and they had a SpaghettiO spoon that was molded underneath their seat and they thought they were, they cops pulled them over for heroin and they were in jail. Yeah. They were in jail so long that they almost admitted to it. That because guy, they didn't get the tested. Yeah. The guy with the donut that they said tested like the donut glaze laying on the ground and they said it tasted positive for meth. And then like he was in jail and he lost his job and things like that. And uh it turns out that it was donut glaze. The test was wrong. The other yeah. night I watched a video and I cried actual tears. This girl was wrongfully arrested. Um they cuffed her, seat belted her into the back seat. The cop started driving and he was texting his girlfriend while he was driving. And he went over a bridge and the car is filling up with water. And you could hear that girl in the back seat completely helpless screaming. She can't get out. She can't move. She's handcuffed behind her back, fighting for her life just to get free. And then you just slowly see the video fade out. 
And that guy's remembered as a hero. 19 police officers show up to, to, um, to a cop that wrongfully shot somebody nine times, emptied a clip on somebody. 19 cops in support and gave speeches on how he was such a remarkable guy. It's just awful. Well, I seen an instance outside of my house where like, for one thing, they should not be handling mental health crises. Absolutely not. Not in the slightest. They are not equipped. Their type of training is not to handle people with mental health. But unfortunately we had presidents like Ronald Reagan that cut all the funding to helping people with mental health. And we just made it a situation like, well, we'll let the cops handle it. So I seen a woman, a frail woman, probably weighs about 80. She probably weighed about 80, 85, 90 pounds. And she was definitely in the middle of a mental breakdown. And she had like four or five sheriffs. They were just throwing her on the ground, knee, putting their knees up on her face and on her chest smashing her on the ground while she was trying to escape and it's just like she was getting worse off and then the more like that she was trying to fight against them the worse they were getting with that and it's like why are you handling this because you you were not meant to be doing this because you don't know how to handle somebody in a mental health crisis and it makes you wonder how many people have sadly probably lost their lives because of this type of situation because our government won't fund the right kind of people to help with that kind of situation. And we, we've all agreed that mental health is our, probably our number one issue in the United States, but we just turn an eye to it all the time. You know, I wish I could tell you guys that this upcoming case that, you know, we were going to bring a bright side and, but no, it's only going to get darker from here, guys. Well, the last thing I was going to mention before we get started is like on top of all of this, we can't forget what happened in Uvalde. The most yeah. embarrassing thing that probably has ever happened in this country. Absolutely. I, I, I can't believe they still let them wear fucking cowboy hats. Fuck those people. Right. Fuck those cops. Yeah. And the and fact they, that, you know, you know. From going in there to save what, their kids. That's what really really fucked me up if you if you're if if you're a goddamn coward who's too afraid to act let someone else you will put some let they're there they're willing to go do it fucking let them fucking um um i'm i'm gonna move on i'm I'm gonna move on from that for but yeah but anyways I, i am i am proud to say that our country has gotten better for a wide variety of people as it's progressed, we still have problems. Oh yeah. I firmly believe that these problems are so deeply ingrained into our criminal justice system. And it still has these problems because the average American is unable to understand just how bad it truly is. Yeah. Yeah. That's why we see like, you know, the average middle-class upper-class person when they're exposed to the dirty inner workings of the police force, they are genuinely shocked. Yeah. This is a very, very common theme. I've found this while researching several topics that we're getting into over the next couple of weeks. Well, like you said yourself, we are getting better in this country. It's like the cutoff. Well, 
I'll say it's like a generational thing. It's almost like it starts with Gen X. There's some in Gen X that kind of see what's going on. The millennials absolutely understand it. And we're the ones that are fighting for change as well as Gen Z. Like Gen Z seems like they're actually getting out there. And like, you know, they're the ones who are mainly doing the protesting and the riots. But boomers, man, they're absolutely either stupid or they're blind to it, or it benefits them. Or they're involved. Or that's what I'm saying. It benefits <laughs> them, so they are okay with what's going on out there. At the very least, if they're not involved in make like with what the problems are, they're dumb. And it's just like, man, I cannot wait for those older generations to be gone, where we can actually start making progress in this country. At Absolutely. least I hope so, anyways. So. <laughs> you know, there's actually um, there's actually a a book by Neil Postman called "Amusing Ourselves to Death." It was written uh, 1980 something, um, and he talks about how television has just changed the way that our society views truth because it was television changed the way we communicate and how we communicate. Yep. And then and the it, internet doubled down. Yeah. Internet. Great. Well, truth. It hit the boomer generation the hardest. So they yeah. have been fed pure propaganda and mostly hatred filled propaganda. Yep. Their entire lives. And it, fuck them, fuck them. But yeah. You know, it's one of those things. But this this idea that I can't believe that this is how it really works. It, it was this was at this very center of our show tonight. There's a gentleman named Leo Schofield. He was wrongfully convicted of murdering his wife in 1987. And one of the quotes that really struck me in this was. He was like, when they found the car that was missing, we'll get to the details later. He said, okay, I called the cops and, you know, I, next thing, you know, I was hoping Batman would show up and everything would be all right. And then he, you can hear the pain in his voice when he says, but that's not what happened. And that really stuck out to me. And it, that's, you'll hear it. That story, yeah. that phrase, painted a different way several times over the next couple of weeks. Um, me, you know, I'm I'm 41, about to be 42 years old, so I remember this case from Unsolved Mysteries when I was a child. Um, the episode aired, and you know, they they went through the whole introduction and they showed her at a payphone. I remember it clearly. They did the uh, reenactment of her at the payphone, and then they talked about how she disappeared after that. And uh, you know what I mean? And uh, it was an episode that really stuck with me. I was scared of payphones in dark areas for the longest time. Like, if I broke down or I had a flat tire or something like that, I was terrified of having to go to a payphone at night because of this episode. It, it left an imprint on me. For our younger listeners, um, before we had cell phones, there used to be these uh, phones that were at gas stations, sometimes like drugstores that you put quarters in, 
And that's how you made phone calls. Yep. So that's a pay phone in case anyone wants to know. It's also where Superman would change that every once in a while. Yeah, right. So yeah. The Superman's not coming. The main thing I want you to take away with this case is these people did not have a cell phone. They did not have a pager. They did not have a house phone. Pay phones were the only way they were able to communicate with each other. That was how this whole thing started. After work, she would stop at the payphone on the way home and call and tell him where she was and when she was going to be arriving and ask if he wanted her to go ahead and pick up dinner. All right. So, so let's talk, let's, let's talk about what's going on here. So we have a 21 year old Leo Schofield and he, rem he, he could have been any of us. He was a 21 year old <laughs> guitarist in a band called Rhino, which stood for rock your nuts off. I mean, that, that pretty cool. much describes 75% of my friends. Right. <laughs> um, you know, I, I thought, you know, and his, his wife, Michelle, um, I thought this was a pretty cool description I found in one of the articles I read. This is from the, uh, 2007 article that was run in the Tampa Bay times. Um, the reporter wrote, they were both high school dropouts. They met in 1986, less than a year before her murder. Michelle was 17 and she was into Cindy Lauper. Leo Schofield was 20 and into Ozzy Osbourne. She right. drank Strawberry Hill wine from a screw top bottle. He drank Bush in the can. Now, I didn't know who Cindy Lauper was off the top of my head, so I had to look her up. Um, he bop, he bop. She sings uh, Girls Just Want to Have Fun yeah. time after time and uh, True Colors. So mad respect to that lady. But, I mean, who, I mean, these, these are just, these are just, these are us. These are our people. These are right. people in our socioeconomic class. Just, you know, 30 Regular, years earlier. Everyday people. I knew those people from high school that got married right after high school. 18 years old, married, two kids by 22. You know what I'm saying? I knew yeah. those people. That's just, it's, that's just what it is. I mean, it's, it's remarried at 25. <laughs> remarried at yeah. 25. Yeah. Oh, I think, I think most of us, especially, especially me, given my, my background, I, I think I know four people who've been married three times. Like it's just, it's just, it's just the way of a military living in a military town, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's wives come and go, right. but you know, um, so Leo, uh, he was from, I believe Massachusetts. Uh, he's, this has happened down in, uh, Florida, um, Polk County, Florida to be specific. Now, Michelle's friends describe Leo as a fast talking outsider from up North. I've been described that way multiple times in my life it's part of being in the south and it's, it's it's actually a big reason why i look at leo and go man i that could have been me you know i it's, it's fucking I, I hate it i really do but anyways so they got married uh pretty early as you can tell um because well they joined a church and uh the preacher advised them to quit living in sin mm. and uh kids if you're listening to this don't get married until you're ready, right. especially if it's because you don't want to live in sin. Uh, 
there's no shame in waiting a few years or until you've got like assets or you need like health insurance and one of you has it and one of you doesn't. And I, under- I don't feel like the youngins these days believe in sin. Well, no, they shouldn't because sin's a made up thing. Yeah. And a lot of people involved in your church are going to tell you a bunch of bullshit. Archaic so, ways of thinking from a book that was written. Uh, I don't, I'm not going to talk bad about church. Or anything that crowd is almost yeah. as corrupt as the police we're talking about. Yeah. So let's just move forward. Right. Yeah. Dude, I, I don't want to talk. I, I, I have a whole thing written in hate about Jehovah's Witnesses right now. But now there's no, there's, like I said, there's no shame in waiting a few years. Like I understand my way of life and your y'all's way of life is, it's not for everybody, but my wife and I were together for several years and we had kids in a house together before we got married. Right. If, if you're going to be surprised someone got married, it should, they should, you should surprise them because they think you're already married. That's how I view it. View it. Um, but anyways, so. On the night of the murder, John, you mentioned the payphone thing. How about you, you kind of walk us through what happened? All right. So Leo was going to band practice that night. Um, we spoke about that a second ago, how he had the band. He was playing music. Um, she was at work. I believe her shift ended at 9 o'clock. It was either 8.30 or 9. I'm not exactly sure. It gets foggy right there, but... um. Her intentions were she was going to stop at the payphone, make a phone call, let him know that the dog that they had just recently got was at the house, probably pooping on the floor. (laughs) So she was going to go home, let the dog out. You know what I'm saying? Because they're a young couple and they're trying to manage a dog on top of a new marriage. Um, And then she was going to stop by McDonald's on the way to pick him up and pick them up some food. Well, he was like, hey, go ahead and drop the or take care of the dog and then pick me up and we'll go to McDonald's together. And he was like, I'm I kind of, you know, and they had a little bit of a quip, a little argument, because like like we were talking about before, they were a young couple. And also they weren't exactly you could say that their relationship was borderline toxic. I'm sorry, it was all the way toxic. It definitely was. There was a lot of verbal, mental abuse. And it also spilled into physical abuse. And by the end of this story, even though Leo is by default the hero of this story, you're not going to like it. And I'm just going to let you know ahead of time. There's going to be moments where you hate this guy. And it has good reason. Um, But I digress on that. So she let him know, hey, I'm going to go to the house and then I'll come pick you up and we'll go to McDonald's. That's fine. And a couple hours roll by and Leo's getting angry. He hasn't heard anything. Um, Then another hour goes by and they said that there was a shift in Leo. He was like, okay, she's known for being late. She's known for taking her time, but I've just got this sinking feeling that something's wrong because she's never this late, especially when she said she was going to be on her way in a few minutes. And he started getting this feeling that he could not describe. Now, according to Leon, 
Leo, Leon, Leo. <laughs> According to L, <laughs> this is when he got with his father and they headed over to the trailer that they lived in to try to see what was going on. Correct me if I'm wrong on this, right, Richard? I'm sorry, I was yeah. muted. Yeah, there was the so they they got together and they decided to go to the places that she would frequent where she might be. They went to friends' houses, they went to the family's houses, and no one could find her. And that's everybody when they involved that night. Everybody that witnessed Leon said that he was distressed. Like you couldn't calm him down. He was angry because he couldn't find his wife. But at the same time, it was this dread that he couldn't describe. He just knew something was wrong. As one should feel in that situation, like um, you should feel distressed and, you know, concerned and whatnot. But that's kind of crazy, like funny. Well, it's not funny, but it's, like, I'm sure this is foreshadowing, but, like, how some people, especially investigators, can mistake someone being completely distraught and stressed as being, like, nervous about or feeling or looking guilty or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Well, you hear you hear it all the time, like, especially especially when you're in the true crime world and you've listened to this happen so many times, like, people hear 911 calls and they're – they – if they believe the person is innocent, then they hear like the person's scared. This is, and if they hear, if they think the person's guilty, then they sound like a monster. Absolutely. Right. It'd be the exact same call. It's just yeah. the exact same recording. You just don't, you just don't know how you're going to react into those situations until you're in that situation. Right. I know I've worked, I've worked nine one one. It's, it's eerie hearing people call in and say, Hey, there's an emergency. We need help. It's Absolutely. Now, once they made the rounds uh, looking for her on themselves by themselves, he called the cops. Now, Absolutely. his concern. So she was driving without a driver's license. And because she didn't have a license, she didn't have insurance. So if a cop pulls her over, I mean, there's a chance she gets taken to jail. So he calls the courthouse or not the courthouse. Well, I guess the, the jail, the county yeah. jail. And you can hear his voice. He's like, hey, I'm looking for this person. Yeah, I, have you? Is she there? I just need to know. My wife got picked up. And when she wasn't there, I think that's when that, that really fucked them up. Yeah. Like, okay, if she's not, if she's not here and she's not in jail, where is she? And my heart goes out to the guy because I can't, I just... I can't imagine my wife going missing like that. Absolutely. And the one thing is like, don't let them tell you that if somebody's missing, you have to wait 48 hours. That is an urban legend. Yep. If somebody is missing for even an hour and you feel like something is wrong, you can open up a missing person's immediately. And that was what he was trying to instigate that night is he was like, look, she's missing. And this is the same law enforcement that have responded several times to, uh, let's see, um, there was one instance where he pushed her down, I believe, and uh, and uh, 
I'm not sure if there was open or closed hand violence involved. Doesn't matter. Hey, is that possible? I'm not trying to play devil's advocate for the cops, but if it was a back and forth kind of dynamic, is that a possibility why they might not be taking it so serious because they've had so many calls on them back and forth? One thing that they were they were discussing was, well, maybe she was just sick of it and she just run off. Maybe she decided she was going to go let him cool down for a while and hang with one of her friends. And again, not playing devil's advocate, because if your job is a civil servant for the, the public it, to protect them and serve them, it doesn't matter how many times you get called on a group of people. You take it serious every single time, no Absolutely. matter what. That is your job. Do your fucking job. Don't make people have to do your job. Especially talking about these fucking Mounties up there with all the missing 411 people. They don't do a goddamn thing up there. Moving on. Sorry, I just had to Well, you know, you know the, uh, the element of it being a frequent flyer situation, that's, that's a very real thing. I can, I remember, I know we talked about it in the past with uh, some of the other firefighters we've had on the show, just anecdotally about like, who was your favorite, who was your favorite flyer? And you can hear it in their voice. Like, God, I hated this person. It drove me crazy every time you call, but though you, you still have to show up and you still have to yeah. be professional. You still have to yeah. go do that. Yeah. Now, in terms of violence going both ways, um, I didn't see any official reports on that. But I wouldn't be surprised if it did. I know in the the I've never been a part of an abusive relationship like that. But the people I know who have been, it's it's usually you know in their situations, it's a two way street. Oh, so everybody's seen South Park. The yeah, thing is, the thing is though is like nowadays because I've been in some of these abusive relationships. Nowadays, you see more of the back and forth. A little back in the past, it was more one sided. You saw a lot Correct. more abusive men, just yeah. women staying because they didn't have prospects or they didn't have. Well, it's just the way the laws were set up, dude. Yeah, especially these are. This is a trailer. This is the 1980s, and these are people without phones. This is before technology. This is before your neighbors and everybody around every car down the street has a has a camera, uh, the internet. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. things nowadays, I feel a lot safer with everybody having a cell phone and the ability to record yeah. constantly than yes, I would ever felt back then. Right. I mean that's. Yeah. But just just so I just so just so I'm just so I, I'm I'm clear. I'm not saying that abusive relationships that go both ways is is common or is the norm. That right. is literally just the two experiences that well, right. one of uh, oh. two of the three experiences I know of people who have been in abusive relationships. Right. So like right. that's yeah. I'm not speaking for anybody. Let's just say that it's toxic. I'm not surprised. No matter no. what, I'm if just you're in something like that. Get out. Yeah, and it's toxic. I'm just trying to figure out the scenario here. Right. So like now sounds like he's it's an important questions. Guy. He's an abusive guy, but this one time he's actually concerned. And I'm wondering if like the police are kind of like boy who cried wolf in him a little bit. They're more concerned with the fact that they have run into his neighbor. Her name was Alice Scott. God, what a bitch. And she is one of those busybodies. She can tell them who's been in and out of that house, 
who comes over on the weekends. She said that she saw his father's pickup truck pull up that night while she was looking out her window spying. And there was a ruckus next door. And she also said that late in the night, she had heard him running a floor cleaner and a shampooer. And he was in there cleaning up a giant mess, in her words. Okay. Interesting. So the police immediately started to feel like there might be some sort of foul play at hand. Or something's just not adding up to them. Because the hours tick by. There's no word. They search for her all night, which Leo was part of the investigation from the get-go. He was helping search. He was gathering people up. He was just not going to stop. But correct me if I'm wrong, Richard. Didn't he go to work the next day? I don't I don't know if he did or not, if I'm being honest with you. I yeah, think I, don't. That I read somewhere that he went to work the next day. Now he was a uh, uh, he was a uh, either a roofer or a painter, Ugh. and I mean, I may be wrong, but I think I heard that somewhere in all uh, the notes that I took. Well, that's such I, a strange, such thinking. a strange thing, like right? Because dude, I, I don't know. Again, you don't my know. Life, there's no way that I could no. And if that is true, I see where a little bit of suspicion may have come in. Or not. Oh, man. I see suspicion all the way through this case. Absolutely. I, I really do. Now, I will say that just because you're in an abusive relationship doesn't mean that you're a murderer. But I will say that a lot of times people who are in abusive relationships, if one of them gets murdered, a lot of times it's the spouse. Now, I, uh, I know that the police, when they went to the trailer, and at this point in time, um, they have decided that there's some sort of foul play involved. And that trailer is a crime scene. Uh, so because of the words that his neighbor had said, they just knew that he cleaned up something over there. So they go inside, and the place is a complete wreck. It just looks like you know those types of people. They they fight all the time. They keep a disgusting house. And the thing is, is their theory was that he cleaned up the, the area so well that there were no trace of blood. So this is this is important, especially because of the way Michelle was killed. They don't know this at the time. But there was, but the fact that there was a noticeable amount, like there was no noticeable amount of blood inside of that trailer, says a lot. I just want to know what kind of lunatic cleans up that much blood and then remesses up their house so it looks messy again, and it looks because that's one thing. Um, you're looking at their theory. Right? I've I've talked to a lot of police. Uh, officers and things like that. And they said the first thing that they notice when they go into a scene is you'll have a house that's completely trashed and then you'll have one area that's spotless. And they know immediately that something happened in that area. 
Yeah, yeah, that's that's actually a pretty good telltale sign. Most of us are not smart, right? And that's that's a hell of a detail right there, right? Like in this case, they found this spot in the carpet, and it was only uh, I think it was a six inch or twelve inch by twelve inch section they cut up on the carpet, and they couldn't tell that if it was rum or blood that was the stain on the carpet. <laughs> Which you know. I mean, that's a, if it's rum, you know, bad night. If it's blood, horrible you know, night. <laughs> when I was a kid in those old Unsolved Mysteries uh, episodes, they always showed luminol and how it reacted to blood. You remember that? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. And I have learned now that luminol reacts to more than just um, blood. It reacts to pet urine and things like that it reacts to well you know stuff fun time fluids um, the man juice there it reacts to certain types of alcohols and juices and liquids that come out of the fridge anything that's got a little Organic. bit of biology yes it, it it's reactive to it and I always thought that they like when they put the luminol that they knew the difference between blood and all these other fluids. But if you remember correctly, they had this brand new puppy that was going all over the house. Dude, if that dog's pissing pure rum, <laughs> <laughs> rum that dog. dog's not set up for he's not set up for good life. The only thing is is a couple days have gone by in this situation and everybody is concerned. Mr. Schofield is absolutely losing his mind at this point. His father as well. So his father is driving down the road on highway. What was it? Highway four. I believe it was. Yeah, I believe that's the correct one. And he said that God came down and spoke to him with this premonition and suddenly he knew where Michelle was. So he follows this road down to the water. And sure enough, floating in the in the water face down is the body of Michelle Schofield. And he immediately has somebody else call the police that they have found the missing person. It was a message from God. Message from God. So we've got messages from God. We've got people living in a trailer. And this is happening in Polk County, Florida. I definitely 100% believe that dog is pissing rum. <laughs> <laughs> Just putting that out there. Now, at this point in time, the police are like, okay, we have one guy who is violent and abusive towards his wife in a new relationship. She's turned up missing. And all of a sudden, the father knows exactly where the body is. And we've talked about this many times. Who's the first suspect? The husband. The, the person who finds the body. Oh. Oh, okay. yeah. Well, plot twist. My bad. <laughs> it's always the spouse and it's always the person who finds the body. And they just knew that in this case, they were working together. So I think I think it's important to note the geography of Polk County, Florida, is unique because at some point they discovered fossils out there. 
Now, when the scientists discovered those fossils, they also discovered phosphorus. And phosphorus is the it's it's one of the top ingredients for um, fertilizers. Right. So there's all these like huge like dugout ditches that are now like creeks or like bodies of water from old mining operations. So these long stretches of like, like little, like rivers, the shape like ponds, the shape of rivers. I mean, they're pretty common. They're pretty spread out. Yeah. They call them quarries usually. Well, yeah. So this is, this is like more of like a, like a, a, when I think of quarry, I think of like one designated giant spot. This right. is like this is different. This these is like are, a pinch almost. Yeah. So like a p- picture like uh, a farm, right? Yeah. Those those long like when you plow the field, those long lines. That's yeah. More or less what it is, just you know, okay. on a much larger scale. Gotcha. So, and I also want to say that it's not like the dad just on day three joins the mission and ends up finding this place. He had been out searching with Leo with, I'm assuming some friends, some family, maybe some police officers. They've been out searching. They had, and it's a relatively small area. They found the car that day too, didn't they? It was either that day or the day before. Right. Uh, it was, I mean, it, it, it was pretty bang, bang. Now I don't. And that's why they had a general area to where they were, they were out there looking to begin with mm. is the fact that they had found the car, which is another telltale sign to them. The police, them, you know, like, okay, well, you know where the car is, you know where the body is. Yeah. Yeah. So the car was broken down and abandoned. Um, and when they found it, you know, the, uh, Something called that. So the flywheel was busted on it, um, which that's that kills a car, which is why the car was broken down. Right. Um, and then within a, like a square mile, they found the body. Absolutely. So I mean, it was pretty close. And when they found the body, it was floating face down and her body was it had a piece of plywood over top of it. Now. Right. Unfortunately, she had been stabbed upwards of 27 times. I 37. Believe, 37 times. Oh. So it wasn't it wasn't a very pretty scene. Yikes. So when Another they found the car, go ahead. Outside of the car, they knew as soon as they found the car that they were looking for a body because it was just the dirt outside of the car was completely covered in blood and there was a trail leading off. Okay. And they said with the amount of blood that they, now you got to think about this, right? What is there? Five pints in your body hit? Something like that. Have you ever spilled an entire gallon of milk on the ground? An entire gallon. Have you ever spilled an entire gallon of milk on the ground? It is quite a mess. Now imagine that is blood. It's thick. It's gross. It smells weird. I mean, not fun. Right. And if it's you've blood. donated blood, if you've donated those, those blood bags, dude, that's a lot of fucking blood. Right. So. Yeah. And that's just one. That's a pint. A blood bag. And 
I think the most important detail about the car is the fact that it had fingerprints inside of it. Now, what they do know is that those bloody fingerprints did not belong to Michelle and they did not belong to Leo. It's a mystery set of bloody fingerprints inside of the vehicle. Now, back then, that we didn't have the digitalized fingerprint system that we have nowadays. Right, right. So to compare fingerprints, you have to take slide by slide by slide to see where it's at. Now, this is where did Leo do it becomes a lot more clear to me. Bloody fucking fingerprints inside of a car where someone was just murdered in. Those don't just fucking appear. Exactly. So. And the, another uh, thing was the stereo was missing. That was something there, you know, they, the car was broken down. The stereo was missing. There was bloody fingerprints inside the car that didn't match Leo and they didn't match his father as well. And you would think that would be enough reasonable doubt to free that man at that exact moment. And the only issue is during that time, this is a small town, a very, very small town. And, and one thing you're going to learn about this case is every time that something can go wrong, not only did it go wrong, but it went wrong in the worst possible way. Leo was not only sent to trial during a time when there was another giant murder case, but this also took, this other case took all the priority of the jurors in the town. So there were only 10 people left to serve jury duty at the time. They had 12 people picked originally, but two of them couldn't make the case. And or one of them was sick. The other one couldn't make the case. So they convicted Leo with only 10 people. Did you know that? Well, we'll talk. I think, I think, I think we'll talk more about the trial in episode two. Right. Yeah. I just because wanted to it's... put that out there. Like that was the first major thing that stuck out to me is there is no other case in history that you have less than 12 jurors, it's illegal. So the, um, so I'm not sure if, I'm not sure if they changed the law or not, but like you have to waive your right to the full 12. You know, I think that's part of it. Um, so this happens and people start to turn on Leo. Like they, they can't prove they don't have any physical evidence saying that Leo did it. Right. They have a hunch that Leo did it. And for a while that, that was all they had. They were just, they, they keep an eye on him. They were going to, they were going to follow him to see what happened. If anything else happened, his story changed. And this looming, like cloud of mid, like, did he kill his wife? was so thick in that small town that he had to leave. And 
that's probably the best thing he could have done, to be honest with you. But he carried his happy ass back up to Massachusetts to live with one of his family members. Oh, yeah. And I don't remember how long it was from the discovery of the body and the car. But he was up there for a while, and that's when out of the seemingly out of the blue some detectives from Florida came up and knocked on the door and said, Hey, we have extradition orders. We're taking you back to charge you with your wife. Yeah. Cause we Florida, talk, we yep. talked about that before, no matter yeah. what Florida will come and get you anywhere. So <laughs> there was a particularly ominous moment that I heard in the podcast bone Valley, which is where we get a lot of this information from where Leo is talking with his dad about what's happening and how he's got to go talk to a judge the day before, because there is an extradition process, right? Like you can fight extradition to another, another state. If you want to, you can, it's a legal, it's a legal option for you. But the night before they went in for that trial, his dad, maybe, I don't know who goes up to him and says, if you did it, go ahead and jump. And Leo obviously didn't jump, but that's just something like, I can't imagine being in that, that position where like, you know, you're about to go into, into a murder. You've been accused of murder and you didn't do it. And you now have to go face a trial. Yeah. Because no matter, I mean, the, at that point, unless especially small town fucking Florida, like it's, if you're, if I would, I would, I would be more inclined to say that in small town Florida, if you make it to a judge and in front of a jury, that jury is more likely than not already made their mind up that you did it. This is the plot to my cousin Vinny. You know what the saddest part is? The reality of... Let me just paint a picture of what something like this entails. So you're already in despair because somebody you loved and you married and you you just... Your heart is breaking over the fact they're not in your life anymore. Someone has taken them away from you. And you're going to have to sit there in front of a room full of strangers and look at pictures of that person after they've been mutilated. Yeah. Well, I can only imagine how heart wrenching that process is. You know, something that kind of opened my eyes to is we were talking about them having an obvious abusive relationship, regardless of who's guilty of abuse or not an older version of me has come to a realization of how bad it is to be in a toxic relationship like that, where a scenario like this could play out where because of the rapport you have with this person where it's back and forth abuse and fighting and stuff to where it's documented that if something ever happened to them, you're going to be suspect number one, even without evidence or a body or anything like that, even though they did find her, Right like before that, he was already targeted as evidence. A younger version of me would try everything I could to keep an abusive or toxic relationship that I'm really in love with going, no matter what. 
but an older version of me kind of sees these kind of things playing out and like especially if it's somebody that you know is has tends to just like run off or disappear and <laughs> you know like nowadays i'm kind of more calculated with my decision making because you never know how something you ever been in a situation like this richard where you uh might have to make a decision but you got to wonder how it's going to play out like what your ramifications could be yeah uh you know a lot of a lot of my life has been trial and error like that i got one if you got scared before i got one after you no, nah, just, just, I mean, just the wrong decision, especially a little bad luck and you could cross the line of poverty like that. You know, mm-hmm. there's decisions you, that we've made in the past that are big deals. But I do, I do remember having a girlfriend when I was, I think I want to say I was 20 and she was 19 and, uh, Man, she got so fucking mad at me that she ended up storming out of the house. I don't even remember where we were. she was. She was, I think she, she had just switched birth control uh-huh. and it was really messing with her, dude. And I remember like the dumbest thing I ever did was try to get in my car and talk sense to her. Oh, I've been <laughs> there. I've been and, there. Uh, yeah, man. I older me, but you know, from that experience, no, it's just, just no, that's, that's the end of the relationship. Just let it go. But yeah. go ahead, Dan. I'm sorry. Um, it's not a relationship, but it's something that goes along the lines of like, I would have had to make a split decision, but I later on would have to think about the ramifications. One time John and me were on our way to work and there was an old man on the side of the road that obviously he either had dementia or Alzheimer's and had gotten out of his house, but he was in full on hunting gear and he was standing on the side of the road with a gun and he's pointing at a traffic like he's hunting animals. And we're driving by. He starts pointing the gun at John. Yep. And he pulls the hammer back. And then I'm like, what the hell is this man doing? He starts like acting like he's howling at us or something like that. And he has no teeth, but like he's getting ready. I'm thinking he's getting ready to pull the trigger. And I'm sitting here thinking like, all right, if he goes like gets any more, like he gets more, looks like he's getting ready to shoot John. I'm going to have to hit him with the car and take him yeah, out. Well- What's your what point do you decide this is? I'm solving this problem for us. Exactly. Yeah, there's life or death situations. I've I've been in a couple. Not like that. Obviously, that's fucking crazy. The thing about it is, is with the way the court system and everything works, that could get turned around. That an old frail man was just out for a walk, and I took him out with a car. Probably a fucking Vietnam vet. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. You hate veterans, Dan. Is yeah. that why you killed him? We know you got him. a bunch of anti-war posts you've made on Facebook. <laughs> but yeah, I just like, that's crazy situations like that, that you like life or death, you got to make a split decision. But, you know, the movies make it seem like everything works out in the end, but you really don't know if no, that's the it way it's going to work out. I look forward to being judged in my death of my social media. That's <laughs> <laughs> St. Peter's up there with his fucking Twitter feed. <laughs> no, I mean just the people left like in the world that are going to stroll through there. Because I, I went through there not too long ago. Just went through the whole thing. I was like, man, this is a treasure trove of comedy. Yeah. Oh, dude. I, I fucking 
pretty much burned my social media accounts like a year or two ago. I fucking purged so much shit. So yeah, I don't. I, there's a lot of things I don't. Minor landmarks, buddy. Yeah, yeah, man. Different strokes, so, man. Because like I know, I know there were some there were some questionable photos that I had on there that I didn't need a uh, security and like a background yeah. investigators finding. <laughs> so, yeah, right. <laughs> just just moved on with my life. So, yeah. um, now I'm. I think we're at a good stopping point. That's what I was thinking. This is a good section for part two, because we're going to introduce some new characters in part two. There are some closing remarks I want to make, but go go, go ahead, Dan. I was just going to make a, like a recap. So basically we know that we're dealing with uh, an abusive couple ladies supposed to come home. They have pay phones they're working with at the time. She doesn't make it back at the time she said she's supposed to. They have to start searching for her. We're talking it took days before they found her? Three days. Three days. And then the the dad and the son happen to find her on a hunch. And the police are thinking they're in cahoots that they've teamed up. They're the suspects. Yep. And they're basing it on the fact that a neighbor saw him cleaning. The neighbor saw a spot on his floor that got removed. So you have his friends that he plays music with saying, no, Leon was, Leo was here. Okay. Until he was at band. Yeah. Until, you know, we got with the police and started looking for, and you have the neighbor saying that she saw his dad's pickup truck pull up and and a fight ensued. Okay. And that the place got trashed, but then later on he cleaned it up, but then, She's found dead somewhere else in a in a pond, face down, stabbed to death. So this is I'm just trying to recap what we're dealing with. You here. nailed it. <laughs> okay. So yeah. if I was an investigator, I would me personally, I would take what the busybody lady said, and I would probably throw that out and work with the other parts that I have working with. But we're talking about Florida. We're talking about tunnel vision. How can we make them? These police officers, they have one scenario. That's how it played out. And they're going to do whatever they can to prove that that's the way it went down. And that bothers me that that's how some people that work in investigations are, that they don't hold their mind open to all types of interpretations. Well, that's, that's where I want to, I want, I kind of want to jump in right here and say something. So when it comes to the tunnel vision of this is the way it is, and that's how it works. That's being viewed from the lens of somebody within the criminal justice system. Now, the problem with this is their identity is tied into that community. And there aren't, there are plenty of people who are willing to die over something stupid, but there are not enough people who are willing to remove themselves from that community to do the right thing. Right. When you have to give up your connections to your group, to your identity, because that group is doing something evil, it takes real bravery. And that's something that 
in this case and in many cases like it is something that people are unwilling to do. And if you are thinking about becoming a public servant, working in the police force, working as a firefighter, you need to be able to look at a shitty situation and say, this is wrong, regardless of how you may be affected personally. Yeah. Not to mention a lot of the people in the field of investigations or even law enforcement are elected officials and to them their percentage rate of being getting convictions matter most because they're elected so it gets to a point sometimes that they don't necessarily care about getting the truth or making sure it's the truth versus i look better than this other guy in this glorified competition and that's shameful in itself too that we've gotten to this point well the when the prosecution is indulged in their own sense of justice and they're willing to circumvent evidence, you end up in situations like this. I so. think that all police officers should also have to carry a peer support specialist with them. I feel like there should be um, some type of counselor to balance out the situation. I think that's a good that's a good and reasonable thing to say. And, you know, what what really irks me about that situation, especially, is because when you look at town budgets, when you look at city budgets, most of the money is going to the police force. Right. Force. That's exactly what they are. Yeah, it's to change the way we police is scary. It is. I understand that it's different and people don't like different, but it is something that needs to be addressed. Look at how less violent England is and they just carry a stick with them. Yeah. Our police, they, our police officers have SWAT vehicles and tanks and well, guns and that, machine guns. and that They shoot it. at acorns. They, that comes back to the whole indulgence of the military-industrial complex that makes so much weapons that we don't need that they have to get rid of them somewhere. Right. I mean, they can't leave. You know, like... Why they, is America so violent? Well, that's where we make a lot of our money. We fund, like, we make the weapons and fund a lot of right. these wars that are going on around the, the CIA planet. passes out crack... <laughs> it's it's you know a country mean? it's a country built on conquered land that was funded by slavery. It's right. <laughs> we were born a violent nation, dude. We sent weapons to the cartel, <laughs> yeah, to fight a war with them. We 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 armed the Middle East, and then when the other side won and started taking over, then we picked a war with them. That's like whenever I had boomers <laughs> and lied about it and funded it with crack. <laughs> family relatives that are like i wish things could go back to the way they were when i was young and it's or like the way it used to be and i'm like what age are you talking about right give me an age and i can pick apart how awful it was how so it truly you, was 
You mean before women could vote or before black people were allowed to eat at your restaurant? Oh, let's talk about right. whenever they sent them to <laughs> Vietnam to lose that war in a bloody, disgusting mess. That they caused the the whole Gulf of Tonkin After Timothy incident. Leary filled them all up with LSD. On, on a lie. Yeah. <laughs> the, right. the, uh, the attack that got us into that war wasn't real. And then when you sent them over there to fight your stupid war and they didn't want to do it, you blamed the people that were dealing with PT shell shock. It's really shell man, shock. Man, after this episode, I need a cigarette. You blame well, them. Dude, fuck, I want one too, man. <laughs> right. Dude, the, dude, the, the treatment of veterans post-Vietnam was fucking dismal. They Are you talking about the guys out there right now on the street? They yeah. waited until the majority of them had died before passing a bill that would provide them proper health care for their Agent Orange exposure. They've been standing on that street corner arguing with their boss, their landlord, and their wife for the last 20 years. <laughs> the exact same people stood before us for my generation's Agent Orange and fist bumped each other when they blocked the bill. Yep. All you want to know why? Because the liberals were winning. They stopped us from getting fucking health care for political gain. Yep. Thank God for John Stewart. Yeah, man. Welcome to America. Well, yeah, well, you're right about that whole I, I, the rose colored lenses that we view ourselves. And it goes back to what I said earlier. The lies that have been spread out throughout our history just to make ourselves feel better is polluted our system and it's where we are today and it's actually at the center of the fucking book i'm writing about how fucking terrible things have been so when so. they say they wish that it could go back to the way it was basically what they're saying is they wish we could go back to being blind and oblivious and not have the truth out there no i think when the boomers say, I wish we could go back to the way things were, I think what they're saying is, is man, we really fucked up. Sorry, guys. But they can't say that. They, they they're can't emotionally unavailable. Yeah, you know. And now we're really fucked because they blew up the Georgia Guidestones. So there's no, uh, there's no future either. So there's boomers. no way back. <laughs> it's just, it's just books about witches and shit. So, boomers, ah. do us a favor and just go ahead and die. Please. <laughs> well, goodbye. <laughs> See you next week. <laughs> Bye. Have a good